Now it's really hard to see the healing of the Lord when we're constantly staring at our own wounds. I was going through a really rough point in my life and had a lot of things that I had to be healed of and and I realized it was my focus that was off that was causing me not to come into my full healing. And I kept looking at the pain. And there's so many people that do that. And when you look at pain, you end up idolizing it. You idolize the pain and then you demonize the one who did it. And then you miss God in all of it. And I was praying one day and and I just like, God, when am I gonna be healed? Like when when am I when am I gonna understand healing? And he said, When you understand me. And I didn't understand what he meant. And he said, He said, Chad, my my son's wounds remind my church of their healing, not my son's pain. Because it says that by his stripes we were healed. So when we see the wounds of God, we don't think of the pain of God, we think of the healing of God. And he said this to me, he said, when your wounds remind you more of your healing than your pain, then you're healed. But I realized in order for me to be able to be healed, I had to stop looking at the pain of the wound and and look back to him who heals. Because then as I started studying that out and looking at this, I realized that my Bible says that Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world, which means I was healed before I was ever hurt. I was restored before I was ever broken. This is why it's easy to come back to the restoration of the Lord because everything that you need, want, and desire is already there. You just are operating unknowingly in a lie. And the moment you step out of that lie, the reality of God becomes real again. Pain is necessary It's hard, but it shouldn't be constant. There's a transference from pain to healing. And sometimes we have to go through hard things, we have to go through hard stuff, and we have to go through difficulties, but God is never there just to make us go through hard stuff. He's there to to be the healer in our life. I don't care if something's done yourself, something somebody did to you. Uh, The church needs to get her eyes off of what happened on this world and look at what happened in his and when you see what he did it doesn't matter what everybody else has done because there's provision in his healing but there's no provision in the wound in the sand so praise God for healing Father thank you for healing us thank you for sending your son thank you for the life of the gospel that you've placed in our hearts that you um redeem and restore those things that the enemy has tried to steal and it's your nature to be there in every moment of our life you've never left you've never forsaken you've never abandoned so we thank you for that we worship you and we praise you we honor you and we thank you in jesus name we ask these things amen you guys can be seated thank you so much for worship this morning guys If you have children and you want to send them to Children's Church, you can. If you want to keep them with you, that's totally fine as well. Um, Just a quick reminder for those of you who are are part of the body here. um, We have until December 12th to um, finish up and finalize the the Christmas gifts for the um, uh, unfortunate needy children we're putting together. And so if you've you've already signed up to get something for them, please um, do so. It would be really good to have it here by next week if you haven't got it here already. Um, I don't want to wait till the last minute. I'd rather, you know, get it to them when they need it. So if that's if that's something that's uh, that you've um, said to do, then then get on that as soon as you can and, and get me those those gifts so we can get them to the kids. Amen. All right, how are you guys? Yeah, Jared's awesome. Ariel wants a joke. Oh, my goodness. Let me think. Uh, so um, a man came forward at a meeting, a great televangelist for healing, for prayer. 
And uh, he came forward, and the televangelist said, what do, you, what do you want? He said, I need you to pray for my hearing. And the televangelist, without waiting any longer, laid his hands on him and started praying and prophesying and speaking in tongues and <laughs> spitting and hollering and jumping up and down and shaking him. And, and after four or five minutes of this, he, he finally stopped and looked at the guy and said, well, how's, how's your hearing? He goes, I, I don't know. It's next Thursday at the courthouse. <laughs> if you're in ministry, listen before you pray. I guess that's the only thing we can get out of that. We have to salvage it spiritually somehow. So, um, I'm going to be in a couple of different places um, today, but I, I want you to kind of follow with me. My heart is for you to have a proper perception of the gospel and of who Jesus Christ is. I can pretty much guarantee you that if you've been in church more than five to ten years, you have learned some things that are absolutely not true, and you've also came away with some perceptions that were subliminally laid into your mind, though they weren't in the intent of the sermon, that got into your thinking and caused you to have to uh, re-learn a lot of things in your life. And if you haven't relearned them, you're still in them. What I mean is, is that um, how we frame and see God is usually determined by what we hear and what we perceive. And if our hearing and our perception is off, then our understanding of God is going to be off. And oftentimes, the people who have been in church the longest know God the least. You with me? <laughs> You think, well, that's not possible. Well, it's, actually, it's absolutely possible. I want to prove it to you this morning, but that's not the point of my sermon. We can be good hearers, but if we're, if we're poor doers of what we heard, we've gained nothing. And that's when the church becomes really, really good at just regurgitated truth. You know what that is, right? It's throwing up somebody else's revelation. <laughs> You think you own it. People who listen to you think you understand it, but you don't get it yourself because it's not become a part of who you are. It's just something you know. Does this make sense? So knowledge-based Christianity is the birth, the womb of deception. You don't need more books. You need more FaceTime. I I don't mean that FaceTime. Don't FaceTime me. I won't answer. You want text or call, that's fine. I don't do FaceTime. I do FaceTime with my wife and my kids. That's it. Okay. Um, I want to turn to Romans chapter 6. We're going to start there. But I want to reframe the idea of obedience and what that looks like. Because if you've been in church at any time uh, at all, obedience is a very scary word. It's the four-letter word of, of Christianity. Yeah, I know. You're counting them up. <laughs> but that's how we view it. How many of you how many of you get bogged down in your life at some point because you know you haven't obeyed? Isn't it interesting the more that you don't obey, the more you don't obey? See, disobedience only produces more disobedience. Most Christians don't obey the word of the Lord. Not because they don't want to, but because of shame from the last disobedience that they didn't do. And so they, they, they disqualify themselves from the current thing the Lord's asking them because of what they didn't do that he asked them to do yesterday. Because disobedience produces shame. You with me? So I don't care how much worship you do and how much prayer you do. If you're not obeying the Lord there is going to be a spirit of shame that comes over your life. Right? And so then what we do is, is that the religious church begins to, to pound you with obedience. They want you to obey no matter what. And then it becomes a, an offset to shame. You're obeying so you don't feel bad about not obeying. And it becomes religious. And your relationship becomes about trying to obey so that you don't feel a certain way when that's not the point of obedience at all. 
Most of us with the Lord, we have bad weeks with the Lord. We'll have bad weeks in the world. We'll have bad weeks in the flesh. When we have bad weeks in the Lord, it's because we didn't obey something he told us to do. Now, you have to understand this. If, you, if you're following Jesus and you love Jesus, the spirit of religion will ask you to do things God never asked you to do. Okay? Some of you all need to write that down. Now, what I am saying, what I am saying is that there will be things that God asks you to do. And anything God ever asks you to do will be the hardest thing you've ever done. But it's possible because he asked you. Does this make sense? So first of all, before we even get into this, I want to reframe what obedience is to the church. I want to recalibrate your mind about what it means to obey the Lord. Because most people, when, it, when they hear obey the Lord, it's like, oh, well, if I don't do that, then dot, 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 whatever that might be. And if I haven't done that, then dot, 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 this is what will be. And then we'd be getting into this cycle. And so we need to repent on so many Christian terms that we've demonized to a point where we don't even understand what they mean anymore. There is a point to obedience, and it's not just because God's a vicious dictator demanding, you know, perfection. But before we even get to that point, we need to understand what obedience is and what it isn't. Adhering to something found by a religious devil in, the, in your ear is not obedience. What I mean by that is this, is that if you go pray for 15 minutes and you, just, you have to start your day with God and maybe you're running late because you overslept and you decide to give God what you have left, the devil's always going to tell you how that's not good enough. You with me? And he's going to command for you to be able to, to do something that, you know, you get up the next morning to try to give God more time, which you should do. But you shouldn't do it because you gave him less time yesterday. Because that's your motive. Does that make sense? Are you following me? Because we create things that we're not supposed to obey. And I'm going to prove that again here, hopefully. If we have, I have a lot here, so please... Follow what I'm saying, because if I miss the intro here, you're not going to know where I'm going. I want to recalibrate your mind on obedience and what it means. Those of you who have been with me long enough, you know I see things differently in Scripture, and it's not because I've got a gift in it. It's because I pour myself into the Word of God, and I say, Lord, who are you, and what did I miss? And I can't tell you how many times I've gone over my Bible that's underlined. I have a passage that's underlined a, a million times with a thousand notes around it to where almost the, the, the text is illegible. And I'll think there's nothing more I can get from that. And then I'll read it again, and God shows me something completely new. And I'm like, oh, my God, how did I miss that? How did I miss that? And he says, because you were seeing me through yesterday's revelation. You were seeing me through what you know instead of who I am. And there's so much of Christianity that sees God through what they know instead of who he is. Even though what he's done leads us to who he is, it's just an open door. It's not the main entree. You with me? Okay. I feel like I'm like cocking the gun here. You know, all right. I'm waiting for the explosion. We're going to see. All right. So Romans chapter 6. Um, in verse 15, I want to start here just because I want to lay some groundwork for what the power of obedience does in our life. Because we think sometimes that obedience is optional, even though we know it's not. Like theologically, you'll tell me it's not. But when it comes down to actually doing what God told you to do, how many times have you took it as an option? You see what I'm saying? Our theology is different than our actions, which, is, which creates deception. So God asks you to do something and you don't do it. You're going to fall when the next storm comes. Because obedience is... is it's actually for you. It's not for him as much as it is for you. Okay. Right? You know, how do we miss this? I don't know. Anybody raise kids? No? Some of y'all did? Some of y'all made humans? Yeah? Yeah? Some of y'all made humans. It's pretty cool to make a human. Don't touch the stove, right? Is that for you or them? Tell them not to touch the hot stove. Is that for you or them? Yeah. Don't have sex before marriage. Is that for you or for them? 
don't do this, don't do that. And you're like, oh, you're just for a bunch of rules. It's not, I love you so much. I want the best life you could possibly ever have. And if you don't listen to these things and do these things, everything in your life is going to fall apart. I know it because it fell apart in mine. Now I don't want it to fall apart in yours. It's for you, not for me. You with me? Does this make sense? Romans chapter 6, verse 15, he says, what do we say then? Are we to continue sinning because we're not under the law and under grace? He says, by no means. Certainly not. Next verse. This is the big one. Don't you understand that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or disobedience which, or, or, which, or obedience which leads to righteousness. So what Paul's saying here is that he's talking to, to, to saved people. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. We think, oh, I have no king but King Jesus. Well, the Bible says that your king is whoever you obey. Does that make sense? So is obedience for you or is it for him? See, God wants us to obey him so that he has jurisdiction in our life. If we disobey him, what has jurisdiction in our life? You with me? It's, it's good to be under the jurisdiction of the judge who loves you instead of the one who doesn't. You understand? You know what sin does? It places you under a different jurisdiction. The Bible says that whoever you obey, that's whose slave you are, either sin or obedience, either sin or righteousness. Does this make sense? So how can a blood-bought saint who believes in the Spirit of God, believes in the gifts of the God, has all the knowledge of being in church for the last 25 years, go through so many things and difficulties and trials that they've gone through and still feel defeated and oppressed, it's because they haven't learned the power of obedience. They think just because they're saved that the demon doesn't have any jurisdiction in their life anymore. Whoops. That's wrong. Now, if you're, if you're submitting to Jesus and you're obeying him, then yes, the demon doesn't have jurisdiction in your life. But if you're willingly surrendering your members to sin, that sin, for that moment, has jurisdiction in your life. Which means you have to repent and, and bring it under the blood of Jesus to, to get back into right standing with God for your sake. This makes sense. You with me? So a little disobedience harms you a whole lot. Okay, why does God want us to obey? So we can invite him into our life in that area to claim the jurisdiction of who we are and bring increase. Disobedience steals from you what you have. Obedience postures you for a greater increase. Right? How many of you guys ever heard a story, or maybe you had it in your own life, where, where um, you have a, a, a kid who wants a car, but there's no freaking way you're going to give him one because of how they treated the bicycle that they had for 15 years? You with me? Disobedience stole from them a blessing that, that was intended to be on your heart. How many of you parents want to be able to bless your kids with a car? But disobedience stole from them something that was on the Father's heart because they didn't value what God had given them in the first place. But obedience, if they're obedient children and they posture themselves well and they're listening to the Father's heart, obedience creates a greater increase. Because when it's time for them to have something greater, it's immediately and easily given. You with me? Okay. I want to pull the religious teeth out of 
obedience because we feel like obedience is legalism. I'm going to actually prove to you that you can obey your way into deeper love. It's not something you're going to hear in church all the time. You think, well, we, we love because we obey. Abs- or, you know, yeah, well, we, we do obey because we love. But do you understand that when you obey, it creates deeper love? It creates deeper relationship? If I buy my children a car because they're, they've been obedient enough in the things I've asked them to do, then that gift that I give them creates a moment between us that deepens something that wouldn't have happened if they hadn't obeyed. You with me? You understand what I'm saying? But if they, if they disobey and then they don't get the card they want, it creates a moment between us that causes even more separation, doesn't it? Because they're bitter because they didn't get a card, and I'm wounded and hurt because I couldn't give it to them and because they're mad at me. You understand what I'm saying? The power of obedience is absolutely massive. And every relationship is determined by the weakest member in the relationship. Your relationship with God is determined by you, not him. You allow as much of him or as little of him in your life as you want. Just because he's all-powerful doesn't mean you have an all-powerful relationship with him. It means that's what he's offering you. But you have to do your part to be able to get there. Okay. You got that down? Okay. It's not, obedience is not for the, for the sake of pacifying a vicious dictator. We don't obey because we don't get in trouble with God. Even though sometimes disobedience gets us in trouble with God. That's not the reason we obey. We obey because we want to love him and know him more, and that his commandments, he says, the Bible says, are not grievous. They're not, they're not heavy. Why? Because when, he, when he's asking you to do something, it's within your power and destiny to do. Why? Because you have the strength in yourself? No, because he's with you to do it. Every obedience that God asks you to do, God will do with you. Which gives you God-sized abilities in impossible situations for the moment. Because God will never ask you to do something he's not going to do with you. Ever. Which means every time he asks you to do something, there is the power and the authority of heaven behind it. It doesn't mean you're always going to succeed according to the world's standards. But it does mean you're going to succeed according to heaven's because you obeyed. Quick story. I've told this a lot recently because I guess this was the theme we're on, but I had a friend of mine. Well, he wasn't a friend. It was somebody I was trying to get to come to Jesus and uh, spent a lot of time with him, trying to get him to come to church, love on him, you know the thing. It's an old, you know, old hillbilly. And we had had a big drought that summer. It hadn't rained for like four months. Everything was dry, dead. It was in the middle of August, and it was, it was bad. And it was really bad in our area. We, other areas around would get pockets of rain. And so this guy came over to my house one day. I was inviting him to church, talking to him about Jesus. And he said, well, you know, I'm going to tell you this. You, you pray that it rains, and I'll come to church if it rains. I said, all right, I can do that. I got nothing to lose. You know, I look like a fool all the time anyway. So I just said, well, let's pray right now. So I just, I just prayed simple prayer. And I uh, said, Lord, just, I, ask you, I ask you for rain. Let this man know that you're real and that uh, you love him. And so he said, well, I got to go, you know, got real uncomfortable and started praying, so he needed to leave. That's how it usually is with those people. And so he gets in his truck, and if you've ever been to my house, there's a downhill that comes to my house, and when you're going up over that hill, you you lose sight of of the property and and everything. So he gets up over that hill, and he leaves. He calls me about 15 minutes later. He's like, what took time to get home? And uh, he's just freaking out. He said, you're never going to believe what happened. I said, what? He goes, when I got up over that hill from your house, it rained on me the entire way home. As soon as I got out of my car, it quit raining. The cloud followed me all the way home and rained on me all the way home. And I said, when you come to church? And he never came. But see, if I tell you that story, that's like, that's awesome, you know? See, see when, you, when I tell you that story, you're going to think, man, that guy succeeded in his prayer. He succeeded in the, in the work of the Lord. I succeeded because it rained? 
because I obeyed. Because let me tell you what, like about two weeks later, another guy came over to my house. His motorcycle died, and he's talking to me. He gets on his motorcycle to go back home. It won't start. I felt like the Holy Spirit told me, pray over his motorcycle. Well, I mean, who does these things? You pray over a bicycle. Why would you do that? I don't know. But I felt like I was supposed to do it. So I laid hands on the bike, and I said, in Jesus' name, I command you to start. I said, start it. He looks at me like, this is weird. And he's like, okay. So he, nothing. So I prayed up prayer about three times. The bike never started. I look like an idiot. Which one succeeded? Which one failed? See, now you know the context of the sermon. You know both of them succeeded because of obedience. But if you were in that situation, you would look at it. I failed in this one. I, I succeeded in this one. God, I ask you for more power to be able to succeed in both. He's, and power's not the issue. Obedience always is. See, I got a, I got a reward for both. One that that guy, neither guy can take away from me. Because I obeyed my father. Right? The obedience gave me a reward. I like the first story better. I've had a lot of people I've prayed for and things didn't happen the way I wanted them to. But that's not my job. Love and obey. That's my job. You with me? See, obedience releases my authority to God to do a greater work in and through me so that I can move from what is to what he wants it to be. When I obey, it opens a realm of possibility to me that was formerly closed. How many of you want to grow in Jesus? The only way you grow is if you do what he told you to do that you haven't done. So you're waiting for a greater revelation. He's waiting for a greater obedience. I've watched people who were stuck in their spiritual life for 10, 15, 20 years dead, just stuck. I can't grow. I don't know where God is in my life anymore. And I tell them, like, go back and do the last thing you heard God say. What was that? I don't know. Then get on your face and ask the Holy Spirit to remind you. Go do the last thing he told you to do. And as soon as they get up and go do that, it's, it's, it's amazing. Most of the time they come back to me like, man, I don't know what's all, the Holy, I can feel the Spirit again. Like I feel God again. Like there's, everything's open to me now. I, I don't understand. This is so weird. It's because you stopped somewhere in your life at a point of growth God wanted you to move on from. And you chose through disobedience to stay where you're at and God honored your choice. See, the drought was self-produced. All because of a little thing. And let me tell you something. The more you get closer to Jesus and the longer you've walked with him, the more those little obediences don't seem to matter. They're like, oh, that's, what, that's nothing. And he's like, no, for you it's everything. And if you don't do it, you're not moving forward. Why? Not because I'm, I'm vicious and I'm harsh, but because what I'm going to do in and through you through this is going to prepare you for the thing I have next. You with me? I want to reframe obedience and the power of it and what it means in your life. When God asks you to do something, it's not because he's offering you an option. It's actually the answer to the prayers you've been praying, and he's giving you something to do to be able to concrete the word he's spoken so that both of you can rejoice together in something that's harmoniously balanced and powerful in the presence of God in the kingdom establishment. That was a long sentence. How good of grades does a child get when they're in disobedience? And they don't do their homework. See, they think it's the teacher who saw mean and bad, but guess what? Those grades come back to bite them later on in the future for their life, doesn't it? The grades aren't for the teacher, are they? They're for the student. And then they realize, wait, I can't get into the college I want because my... My scores aren't high enough because I didn't pay attention because I valued something that was stupid and was insignificant to me at the time. You know, something that was, that was valuable is insignificant and the insignificant was valuable. And I, I got it all messed up and now it's now I'm paying for it. You with me? Okay. Is your mindset changing a little bit? All right. Now, obedience must stem from love. We understand that. But let me tell you this. If God ever speaks something to you to obey, you have enough love to perform it.
You love him enough to perform that. Otherwise, he wouldn't ask you. With me? So is obedience legalism or is it an invitation to a deeper love? This should make you excited to obey. But how do you know obedience is very difficult when it comes from the Lord? What did you, how did Jesus learn obedience? Anybody know? Yeah, the Bible says he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. If God asks you to do something, there's going to be a part of you that begins to suffer in doing it. But it's, the only, it's, it's only the part of you that's not going to make it through it anyway. It's the part of you that you want to lose in, in the first place. It's the part of you you want gone. And the obedience and the command is given to you to custom design the losing the part of you that you despise to gain the part of him you desire. I feel like that was better than your response, but we'll move on. So can you obey your way to a deeper love? See, before I, asked the, before I started preaching this, what, if I would have asked you that question, what would you have said? You would have said no. Yeah, because your theology is, is that, you know, if you love God enough, you'll obey. Uh, that creates a lot of condemnation. Because most of the time people do love enough to obey. It's that most of the time what they, they've got is an improper mindset of shame that causes them not to obey because they've believed a lie thinking they don't love God enough. But the fact that they are jumbled up inside about it proves that they do love him enough. Otherwise, they wouldn't care. You with me? Now, I'm not saying that some disobedience is from lack of love because sometimes it is, but it's not because you don't have it. It's because you're not submitting and choosing it. You're choosing something else. You're bailing on the love you do have and giving that love to something that's not worth it. Okay, we good? So turn to Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 16. This is the story of the rich young ruler. I mean, you don't have to turn there. You can just listen if you want. And it says, Behold, one came to him and said, Master, what good things do I need to do to have eternal life? So the guy has an understanding that obedience leads to a greater relationship because his first question isn't, do I need to believe or do I need to love? Do I need to have faith? He says, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And so Jesus says, why are you calling me good? There's no one good except God. But if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. See, that's not what he was asking, though. This guy was not asking, how do I get to heaven? He was asking for a greater work. And so Jesus was like, well, if you want to get to heaven, do what you know to do. Keep the commandments. Obey what I've already told you. See, most people get stuck right here, and they have to go back and start obeying what God told them because they're not in the position that this man was in. This man literally looked at God and said, I've done it all. And God, being true and cannot lie, says, okay, yeah, you have. But if you want more, I'm going to give you something else to do. He didn't say, I'm going to give you something else to believe. He didn't say, I'm going to give you something else to hope for. He said, I'm going to give you something to do. You want a deeper love with me? You want a deeper relationship with me? You want a deeper life with me? I'm going to go beyond the regular commandments. See, because all of you know the Ten Commandments. All of you know the greatest commandment. But then there's times where, where God says, I want you to go a little farther than that. But you don't have to. See, the key to true obedience is going beyond what you already know to do and asking God for the sacrificial qualities he's asking from you that you don't want to give up. The part of you that, the part of you that says That's, that part's not necessary because I can scripturally justify that I'm doing all these things right over here. This, that's not in the word of God. Because you realize what Jesus says right here wasn't in the word of God before he said it? That if the, if the people examined Torah, that they, 
this is what they found. And he did them all. He found everything in the word, the written word of God that he had to do to be able to inherit life. But something gnawing at him on the inside was, it's not enough, it's not enough, it's not enough. There's something, there's something I'm missing. And Jesus says this, he says, all right, verse 21, if you want to be perfect, if you want something deeper, you want to be complete, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you're going to have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Does God require you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor when you get saved? Nope. See, that's a commandment for those who are saying, God, I want more of you. And he's going to go, okay, do what I've told you to do. I've done all that. I pray. I fast. I, I stay away from sin. I don't do these things anymore. And he's going to like, okay, I want you to give your life for people who aren't worth it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's too much. That's not scriptural. I don't have to do that. Like, that's not necessary for me to get to heaven. No, you're exactly right. But if you want to be complete, if you want that inner gnawing inside of you to go away, God's going to ask you to do something because that doing would have done what? If We all know the story. He did not obey, did he? He walked away. He left. Let me ask you this. What if he would have obeyed? Because Jesus, you ever read this, the, the Gospels, and there's so many people that came to Jesus wanting desperately to follow him. Please let me follow you. I mean, can you imagine? You know that this is God on earth. This is God in skin. He is incarnate. It's the literal being of God himself manifest to us in human form. Why would you not want to follow this man? Once you re- wake up to that reality, this is the guy who made all of this stuff. And he's here with us. I want to follow you. And there's times where Jesus says, you can't. You need to go back over here. I'm not going to let you follow me. There's people who wanted to follow him. And Jesus said, no, you got to, I have a different plan for your life. But then this, this happens. This guy comes to the point where I've done everything right. I've done all this stuff. I've been in this. I've done all this. I've done that. I've been in church all this stuff. I know all the theology. I know all this stuff. I know everything. I know, I've done it all. And then Jesus says, then go and do this. And then, what does he say? Come follow me. If he would have obeyed, what would have happened? That obedience would have opened him to a realm of relationship with Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the God of all gods and the King of all kings that he never had before. Obedience would have postured him into a greater relationship with God. But it was obedience on the things that the world and the church deems unnecessary. Years and years ago when I was pastoring, we had a group of people in my church that were highly opposed to me. Imagine that. But they kept using this word. This was a catchphrase for them. It became a catchphrase in the church. Well, isn't that extreme? Like extreme was like a bad thing to them. Like you don't have to do all that. You're, you're preaching too much sacrificial gospel. Isn't that extreme? Isn't that extreme? So then it became this, this coined phrase in our church well, amongst these people. Uh, when, when new authors would come out, I'm like, you need to read this book. And well, isn't he, a little, isn't he extreme? Isn't that extreme? What they're saying is, is that when Jesus asks to go and sell everything you have, that's extreme. And you don't have to do that. Well, technically, they were right. But they were wrong. Can you obey yourself in the deeper love? If you can disobey and it separates you in relationship from God, it never separates you from the love of God, but it separates your access from it. You can't access it. Love can access you, but you can't access it. If, if disobedience can separate us from that and make us slaves to something other than Jesus, then how much more can obedience make us come closer and reconnect that which was broken? So is obedience for us or for him? Every time we obey him, it's not because we're pacifying something that was going to come to a former judgment. It's so that another window of opportunity opens for us to step through and know him in a deeper way and to make him known to somebody else the same way. You understand? Because if we, want, if we run by the religious definition of obedience, all we're doing is, is, per, is cowering and bowing to legalism. And then when, when is obeying good enough? 
When are you ever going to do good enough to finally feel that voice go away in your head? See, God always invites you to a deeper relationship with him, not a deeper legalism of obedience. Obedience leads you to deeper relationship. Relationship fulfills. This is what he told us, man. You want to be perfect? That word is complete, whole. Then live for the reason I made you to live. Now, it's different for everybody. Some people already gave up everything. Even the disciples said we've given up our lands, our houses, our families, everything to follow you. What are we going to get? But some people, he didn't require that. He actually required something else. But whatever he requires of you, whatever it might be, whatever that extreme point he's asking you to do is not because he's trying to take something from you and put more pressure and legalism on you. It's an invitation to a greater relationship. Is this, is this making sense for you? Okay. When we're, we're seeking the deeper things of God, we're going to become aware of what was keeping us from those deeper things, and God's going to expose it and say, I want you to do this. And the enemy's going to say, that's extreme, that's not even in Scripture, you don't even have to do that, that's legalism. And it's interesting that what the enemy calls legalism that God asks us to do is actually freedom. <laughs> and then what we call freedom in the gospel is usually what is legalism. We have a beautiful way of, of turning everything upside down and making it look, look, look really good. If we fail to obey, we fail to receive. Not because God doesn't want to give, but because he honors our choice. You understand this? All right. Let's see. You don't have to turn there. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, do what I tell you to do. Why? Because it's going to bring you into deeper love. For years I read that as, as a condemnation verse. Well, I didn't do this, so I must not love him. If I didn't love him, I wouldn't be worried about why I didn't do it. I wouldn't care. The fact that I do love him shows me where I didn't. Thank God for the parable of the two sons. <laughs> because now I can go back and plow the field even though I said no the first time. And he still says, good job. Go back and do what you're supposed to do the first time. You with me? I, some, I read some harebrained idiot's post. sounded really good on, it, on Facebook. that said delayed obedience is disobedience. I'm like, well, that sounds really spiritual, but it's just unbiblical. I posted that scripture below in the comments, and he never replied back. <laughs> And he's pretty known for replying back to any antagonism he gets on any of his posts. So I, yes. I don't often argue online, but when I do, I win. <laughs> That's hilarious. That should be a meme. Okay. Luke 6.46, it says, Why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I'm asking you to do? So Jesus looks and he says, if, you're, if, you, if you call me your Savior, if you call me your King, and you're not obeying what I'm asking you to do, why are you even acknowledging me as your King? And he tells a story right after this. So the context of the story goes right back to the principle he, just, he spoke. In verse 47, he says, Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings. Now, if we stopped right there, the church would be good. We like coming to church, coming to Jesus, and hearing what he's got to say. Man, we love that part. People like coming to, to, sometimes people will tell me, well, I just love the way you preach because it makes it make so much sense. And, I, and like, I just love hearing you, you talk about things and you see things a different way. And I'm thinking in my head, that's awesome, but you know, everything you've heard, you're now accountable for. Yeah. And some of y'all won't be back next week. All right. <laughs> he said, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you what he is like. So he says, whoever hears them and does them, this is what he's like. Hearing and doing. 
He's like a man which built a house, and he dug deep, and he laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood came, and the stream bent against that, or beat against the house, it could not shake it, because it was founded on the rock. But whoever comes to me and hears my voice and does not do what I say, this man is like a man without a foundation. He builds his house upon the earth, and then when the stream comes, it beats violently against it, and immediately it falls, and the ruin of it is very great. Both built houses, both heard the Lord. You would think the doing is in the building. But it's not. Both built a house. Only one dug down and found something that nobody else saw. We're made of dirt, aren't we? When we dig down inside of us and we come to that place where we find Christ in our heart and we find the value of who he is and we begin to do everything from that place, then we're obeying and building from the proper posture. But when we're trying to build the house that God is telling us to build without recognizing the value of God himself, then we're obeying without knowing, which causes destruction. If you're ever in a situation in your life where everything has fallen apart and everything is just chaos and wrecked and ruined around you, I'm going to tell you the truth. You didn't find Jesus and you built somewhere that wasn't right. You heard and you tried to obey on your own and you never found the value of what you were doing while you were doing. Because my Bible says that even when we go through very difficult, hard things, we'll never fall, we'll never break. The storm can never break us. Because you know why? We, we know why we're going through what we're going through. The people who don't know why they're going through what they're going through often break. There's times in my life where I'll be, the hardships will come, and I know the only reason they're, they're here, it's not because the devil's so powerful or he's attacking me. It's because I asked for something deeper in the Lord, and now it's time for him to give it. So every storm has the context of greater increase. That's how I see it. And when I see that the storm is there to only bring me to deeper relationship with him, it can't break me. It's there to actually make me. How could it break me? But for people who obey because they're trying to be something better without God or feel comfortable in their own skin or just to fulfill the commands of Scripture, when the storm comes, they don't know why they're suffering. And they begin to, they have no foundation of, of why the house is built the way it is or why God's asking them. So they end up falling apart and they're questioning everything. Why God? Why God? Why? Why would you let this happen? Why is this going on? Why? 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 And then Im- and immediately what happens is they just, they, they, they crumble. So what was the obedience in the building Or was it in the digging? It was back in that place of finding Christ in our life and basing absolutely everything on it. The reason why we're building the house where we're building it is because he's here. The reason why I'm doing what I'm doing in my life right now is because this is where Christ is. And everybody else is going to say, that's a stupid place to build. No, it's not. I see something here that you don't see. You understand? We often rejoice in the hearing, but we lose everything with the lack of doing. Wisdom, it's not about building. It's about building the right place. Obedience is about building on the right foundation. Why are you obeying? So that you don't feel like a bad Christian because you didn't pray this week? Or because you know that you're there to meet with the king? And it doesn't matter if you didn't meet with him yesterday. He's always willing to meet with you today. Hmm? Oh, my goodness. I have like five minutes to finish this. See, those who look at obedience as pass-fail... Miss the objective of God. God doesn't need us to improve upon what he's asking us to do. He just needs us to do what he's told us to do. You guys understand the story in First Samuel where, where uh, God tells Samuel to kill all the, uh, I believe it was the Amalekites, kill them all. 
Every one of them. Don't spare a single person. And then wait. Samuel tells him, wait until I get there. And then I'm going to perform the offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. I'm going to perform these things to God. So Saul does absolutely everything he's supposed to do, except for he adds to it the things he thinks God values. In other words, he didn't kill the king, and he kept all the best of the animals, didn't slaughter the animals, because he thought, I'm going to use these to perform worship to God. I'm going to give to God something he's not asking for. <laughs> That's religion. But everybody thinks he, he wants it. We come up with these things that we think God wants from our life, and then we're surprised when he doesn't bless it in our heart. And, and Samuel waited, or Saul waited to the last second, and he waited all, all the way up to the point where, where Samuel told him, by this day and this time I'll be here. And he waited even past that time. And then Sam, uh, Saul comes in and he performs the sacrifices that only the priest is required to perform. And then Samuel comes back and says, God's rejected you as king because you didn't listen to him. You didn't obey him. It's interesting that we equate obedience with doing more. It's only that if God says so. If you go out and try to sell everything you have and give it to the poor and God didn't tell you to, you may miss what he's asking you to do. And then the next person he's asking you to give to has nothing because you religiousize the entire thing and can be super spiritual and do something he never told you to do. Let me tell you something. When God tells you to do something, it will be difficult. Trust me. Wait, hear that, and then do that. Everything else you're not required of in that season of your life. You, oh, do you, you obey that, you do that, you move to the next season, he'll ask you to do something else. This is how we follow him. Religion asks you to do more for God than what he requires. But when he requires, he'll require much from you. And even to the point where even some of your friends are going to go, isn't that a little extreme? Anytime people ask me that, I'm like, was the cross extreme? If it was, then I want to be like him. You with me? It says there, it says there in, in 1 Samuel, you can write it down, 1 Samuel 15, 23. Rebellion is a sin of, of witchcraft. It says, he says in verse 22, to obey is better than sacrifice. See, some people want to come to a church and, and, and put up a sacrifice of praise and they haven't obeyed what he's asked them to do. I'm not talking about religious legalism. I'm talking about what God told you to do last. I remember at one point in my life I felt a little bit stuck and, I, and God asked me to write a book and I hadn't read it, wrote it yet. I wrote most of it. I've got a couple other ones I want to finish, but I just felt like he wanted me to finish that book and I just, I just didn't have time and it was a, I had a lot of excuses. They're all valid excuses. And I just felt like, man, you... you I need to finish this book, and, and, and so I finally got stuck, and, and God, I was praying one day, I was like, God, why, what's going on, I can't, I can't feel you, he's like, you didn't do what I asked you to do, that was, yeah. you think I, me stepping on your toes hurts, man, I'm telling you what, he wears my rear end out, and so I was like, okay, I went back and wrote the book, didn't go the way I thought, spent over $10,000 publishing this book, made $17 from doing it. But I had a guy who I gave it to, which I give most of them away. He read it, and he called me about a month later. He said, I, I really want to thank you for writing that. He said, I was going to commit suicide, and if I hadn't read that book, I would have killed myself. See, God knew that. And I was dragging my feet on good excuses. Thank God his timing was right. You with me? All right. Uh, real quick, I want to read this story in John 9. Jesus passed by, verse 1, a man that was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? In other words, whose fault is it? And Jesus says, it's not that this man sinned or his parents sinned or he sinned. or It's about the works of God being displayed in his life. So sometimes there's things that happen to us that God allows for his glory to be seen through the circumstance. It doesn't mean he did it. It just means he allows it. And he says, uh, we must work the works of him who sent, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night's coming when no man can work. I'm in the world. 
uh, and I'm the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground, and he made clay with his saliva, and he put the uh, clay on the man's eyes and anointed the man's eyes with mud. Now, that's a weird way to heal people. Anybody want to pray for their eyes? I'll come spit in your eyes, you know. That's why we get called a cult, right? All right. So he says, he spits in the, and spits in the mud, and he makes this stuff, and he puts, presses it in this guy's eyes. Now listen, this guy's still blind. And here's what, this, this is what Jesus tells him. I mean, we read this story like, oh, it's so great, it's so great, it's a miracle. Except for verse 7, that's a problem. If you're, if you're in this situation, and that's you, verse 7's a problem. We don't think of it like this. What's verse 7 say? He says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Jesus, had, this guy has an encounter with God. You feel, you feel him here. He has an encounter with God. Jesus touches him. How many of you have an encounter with God? How many of Jesus has touched you? But then Jesus gives a command after the touch. But the command seems impossible. What's he tell him? Go and wash. You get that he's still blind. You get that he's nowhere near the pool. How is he going to find the pool blind? We, we have this vision of Jesus leading him by the hand, and taking him down to the water. Oh, 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 step down, step down. That's not what happened. The man had to crawl his way back and ask for directions and ask for directions and ask for directions. And on his hands and knees, tripping, people running in front of him, making fun of him with mud in his eyes. Humiliation, all kinds of things happening. He finally gets to the pool. He obeys, and then guess what? His eyes open. The eyes always represent the ability to see God clearly. Most Christians have a touch with God, an encounter with Jesus. He touches them, and then they don't obey, which means they don't see clearly. And then they begin to go out and create a ministry based upon the touch and the introduction without a proper understanding of who he is. Because they didn't obey. When this man obeyed, he immediately not only had a restored relationship with Jesus, a restored relationship with himself, but he saw everything else clearly. What if he hadn't obeyed? He still would have had a great testimony. I met the God of all gods, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. He, he spit in my face, man. I'm, him and I are like this. But you're still blind. No, no, no. No, I felt him. I know what he feels like. Has he spit in your face? See, he had a one-up on a lot of people. But he didn't see clearly. You guys remember me telling you that we don't see with our eyes, we see with our brains. Our eyes are just lenses. Our brain, and we see with our brain, our, and it flips, and, it, and our, our eyes just release the message. So if you can't see well, it means you're not thinking well. This is why the Bible says repent, change how you think. When you repent, you are able to see. What causes us to be able to see? Obedience. It's not just a touch. Everybody's had a touch from God in here. God's all, you know what the touch is? The touch is to introduce you, to invite you to a greater experience. Touch isn't because God's condoning everything you're doing and how you're living. God, I've, I've watched God fall on people who are in all kinds of sin. It doesn't mean he's okay with it. It's just being said, I love you, and I'm not going to look at you as your sin, but you still got to repent from it, and you still got to walk away from it, and I'm touching you so you can walk away from it. Because you're blind to who I am. You're blind to my commandments. You're blind to what I'm requiring of your life. You make sense? All right, I'm closing with this. Revelation chapter 2. This is the church of Ephesus. There's a lot of history here. A lot of things I could add to this that I don't have time to. Nonetheless, in Revelation, Jesus writes some letters to the churches. And every one of them, except one, he rebukes them on something and says, you need to correct this in your life. Ephesus was the church that he said, you have left your first love. You no longer do things for me because you love me. You're doing things for me because you serve me as God. And that's it. You're working for me. And he even commends them in the beginning of the, of the letter. You do this right, and you do this right, and you do this right. But it means nothing to me because you, you're not doing these things because you love me anymore. You're doing them because you fear judgment. You fear retribution. You fear 
You have, you have adopted a Greek mentality of the, of the lowercase g gods with the lightning bolts in their hands, and you've superimposed that image upon my face, and that's not who I am. You with me? So how, how do they get, what does Jesus, what does Jesus tell them? How do they, how do they fix their love problem? See, because we think, you know, we obey because we love. The problem is these people don't love anymore, so how are they going to love? How are they going to restore their love, their broken love? What does he tell them? Verse 5, remember from where you fell from. And do the works you used to do. Go back and obey what I told you to do and what you used to do in the beginning. And then your love will be reignited. You see why the demon wants to demonize obedience into legalism? Because the demon knows that true obedience and taking that one step to come back to God and going back to the pool of Siloam and going back to being sent in your life to others instead of making it about yourself is the thing that's going to bring proper clarity back to your relationship with Abba and restore the love you once had. But if he can demonize obedience to the point of religion, then he keeps all the people you're sent to unhealed and he keeps you unhealed. But yet you're working, you're building Oh, we got a ministry, brother. Doing what? Teaching people to build the same way you do? All that's going to fall. Go read the Bible about what it says about building with improper materials. So many people in Christianity ministries justify what they're doing because they're doing something. Outreach is not pure unless your love is in the right posture. All you're doing is building a house that's going to fall. Because those people, you're going to recreate yourself. And if you're, if you're not digging down, if you're not doing things for the right reasons and the right ways and the, right, and the proper understanding, you're only going to teach people the fallen mentality of God that you've adopted. I've learned one thing. Broken people make broken people. I've seen it in ministries for years. Just because you got more people in the room because you knocked on some doors doesn't mean you're doing a good thing. It matters how they turn out. You can make as many kids as you want. It matters how they turn out. Making kids isn't the point. Proper identification of the family and what it should be is. Otherwise, what happens? If we make children that are not supposed to be, even in the natural sense, what they are, it keeps a lot of other people going, I want none of that. You want to have kids? Heck no. Why? Because I see all the rest of them. You want to come love Jesus? Heck no. Why? Because I see all the rest of them. Yeah, that was a little. Go and do your first works. If anybody's stuck at some point in your life, you're like, man, I just don't know what God wants from me right now. I can't hear him. I'm, I'm kind of like in this place where I don't really know what to do next. I don't, I'm not really hearing him. I'm not feeling like I used to. There's a reason for that. You haven't done what he told you to do the first time. And then you're wanting greater revelation when you haven't even absorbed the last one he gave you. And that's, he's not, that's the prayer he can't answer. Everybody in here has a season in front of them that God wants them to bring them into. And the only thing that's going to stop you from coming into that season is a some form of, of disobedience. That's it. I mean, praise God for where you're at. But you're still alive, which means that's not good enough for God. He wants you farther. He wants you farther. Amen? Does this help you? Okay. I want you to reframe what you think obedience is. I didn't have time to get in the rest of it. It's powerful. It's restorative. It's for you. It's not for him. It's not legalism. It's a gateway and a porthole to decide whose master you want to be. Disobedience isn't missing a day in prayer unless he's told you, I don't want you to miss a day in prayer. 
Disobedience is willfully walking away from something you know God told you to do in your life. And it will be difficult, whatever he asks you to do. If, if that is not missing a day in prayer, then that's what, that's what it requires. Eventually, though, the more love you fall with God, the, the more you're realizing you're going to be on your face without thinking about it because you just want to be with him. But that's not the stuff I'm talking about. I'm talking about doing what he told you to do so that you have an open invitation for him to come and have jurisdiction in your life. You stand with me. I'm not going to make this complicated. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, sometimes we don't need a powerful move of the Holy Spirit to go back and do what we were told to do. You with me? If God, if God is convicting you maybe on how you eat, for example, I'm just using that as an example. I'm not picking on anybody here. I'm just saying if God's convicting you on how you eat and he wants you to change how you're eating, it doesn't take a powerful move of the Holy Spirit to not buy the next Snickers that you see at the gas station. It just takes human will of saying, I'm not going to do that because I know that by not doing that, I'm positioning and posturing myself into a place with Abba that he's going to honor. And I'd rather have honor from him than to, to walk away from what he asked me to do. With me? So just real quick, I just want you to, if this, if this is you, if there's any area of your life, there's two prayers I want to pray. One is this, Father, forgive me for anything I've not done that you've asked me to do. And two, if you don't remember what it is, Holy Spirit, I ask you to bring it back to my remembrance. So Lord, we just ask you right now that you would forgive us for, for disobedience because it's, it's caused us to, to create a mindset of separation. And we ask that you would remind us, Holy Spirit, for anything that you've asked us to do that we've not done. And that we would go back and do the first works in our life. Whether that's spending more time on our face or loving the person next to us or separating from something in our life that you're, calling, you're asking us to separate from. Even if it's a person or a thing. That we would honor what you're asking. And we wouldn't make excuses about why it's not important or why it's insignificant. But that we would just obey. And then as, those, as these people walk into, into this obedience, Lord, I just ask that the Spirit of the Lord become more revealed to them, that, that this window would open for them, and that just this clarity would come of faith, and that, that the power would return, and that the relationship would return, and that the joy of the Lord would be restored in their life, and, and they would become to this place of, of understanding of who you are and to follow you, because that's what you're asking. Anytime you ask us to give up something, it's because you want us to follow you deeper. Give this up and follow me. Obey me and follow me. Whatever this is, we just lay it on the altar right now, Father, and we thank you for your grace because you never ask us to do something that you won't do with us. You'll be right there the whole time. We're never alone. And we don't have anything to fear. Because whatever we lose, we'll gain in multiplicity. We'll gain in heaven. We'll gain here on earth. We'll gain. We can't outgive you. That's who you are. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.